Good morning. It's great to see everybody here with us this morning. I just want to welcome everyone to the Central Church of Christ. Appreciate you deciding to worship with us this morning. I have a great crowd. Um, I know that we have a lot who are still traveling as well, so I want to welcome all of those who are tuning in online. We're praying for your safety, and we hope that you will come back to worship with us again soon. For the past couple of weeks, Slate has been in this series entitled, Something's Missing. Now, at some point or another in our lives, we've all felt like that, right? Maybe you've misplaced your car keys, or your cell phone, or your wallet, or something, and you just, you can't help but think, oh man, something's missing. And it takes a while for you to be able to realize what it is, right? Um, just yesterday, actually, Lena's going to kill me for this, but um, she was over at Slate and Julie's house feeding the cats, and she grabbed the set of keys to open the house, and she left her car keys in the car and locked it behind her. So she calls me. I'm here working at the church building. She says, I messed up. <laughs> I accidentally locked the keys in the car. So I drive over there, and um, I grab the screwdriver and a, a, a coat hanger. And man, I tell you what, you never feel more like a criminal when you're trying to break into your own car. The looks that I got from the people that were walking in the subdivision, man, you would have thought that it was the worst. I was like, I promise it's my car. It's okay. It's okay. I tried for a half hour. I wasn't as good at it as I thought that I would be, and uh, I couldn't get it. So uh, Lena had to call the, uh, the locksmith to come over. And anyways, it's, it's a very expensive illustration for me to tell you that we're going to be continuing Slate series, Something's Missing. Um, so, like I said, for the past couple of weeks, Slate has been in this series, uh, but he's, he's not been talking about losing your, your cell phone or your car keys or your wallet, hopefully not your kid in Walmart. He's been talking about something that you can't see, something that you can't quite describe, but yet it's, it's right there on the tip of your tongue, and yet you just you feel this hole, and you're trying to fill it with all of these different things when there's just one thing that can fill that void. So if you've missed this series, I highly recommend that you go back and watch it. We keep all of his lessons on our website at whcentral.church. You can go back and you can watch this whole series. Uh, but if you don't want to see him and you just you want to hear him, we also have a podcast. So you can do that as well. You can go and check that out anywhere that you normally listen to your podcasts. So um, Slate has asked me to cap off his series this morning. He asked me to talk to you guys about generosity. So I told him no. Um, I told him no because that's not really a, a topic that I feel comfortable on. It's not something that I feel very strong with. And I know that I don't want to talk about it. I know that if I'm sitting in the, in the pew, I don't want people to talk about giving or, or generosity or money or anything like that because it makes us feel uncomfortable, right? It, it makes us feel a little icky. I changed my mind. Um, I'm pulling myself out of my comfort zone this morning, so I'm going to be pulling you guys right along with me. But don't worry, because there's not just one way to show generosity. We're actually going to be looking at three different ways that you can show generosity. So we're going to start with money, but then we're very quickly going to move away from it. If you have your Bibles with you, you can go ahead and open those up to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, we're going to be starting in verse 19, and remember, I'm not as nice as Slate, so they're not going to be up here on the PowerPoint this morning, so we are going back to the, the hard copy. 
Um, while you're turning there, I have a, a funny story to share with you. And I'm sure Slate's told this story before because he likes stories with bad punchlines. So I'm going to go ahead and I'll, I'll just I'll share it with you anyways. Um, there's this, this really old man. And he was a very rich old man. And um, he'd worked all of his life. He'd saved all of his money. And he was just he was a real miser when it came to his money. He'd never spared a penny with the less fortunate. And it was always just him thinking about himself. Well, one day he gets really sick, and when he's on his deathbed, he calls his wife over to him, and he says, you know, what, well, what you would think he would say is, oh, honey, I, I love you so much. I'm so thankful for the many years that we have shared together. Um, tell the kids I love them. No. Instead, he says, hey, you know all that money that I worked for? I want you to, to gather it all together, and I want you to bury it with me. I want you to put it in the casket with me, because when I die, I want to I take that with me. And then he died. And so the wife at the funeral, she's uh, going through everybody's offering their condolences. And um, right before they close the casket, she brings over this, this wooden box. And she says her goodbyes. And then she places it at his feet. And they close the casket and take it away. Now, one of her friends that was standing close by was very curious and asked her, so what was, what was in the box? And she explains the story and said, well, you know, my husband, he asked me to take all of the money that he had gathered over the years that he was alive, and he asked me to bury it with him. And the friend's like, are, are you crazy? Surely you didn't do that, right? And she said, no, look, look, you don't understand. He was a very loving husband. He was very loyal to me. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm a good wife. I made him a promise. It was, it was his last request. So I got it all together. I counted it up, and then I wrote him a check. Then I wrote him a check. See, it's funny because he, he, he can't cash the check. Okay. Just making sure, you guys, making sure you guys got it. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and, or on earth, excuse me, where moth and rust can destroy and where thieves will break in and steal. But instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust will destroy and where thieves will not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, some people are just like that. I mean, if you work hard for your money, you feel entitled to that. So why should you throw it away on people who are standing on the side of the road begging for it? Well, today we're going to be looking at a story where we get the answer to that question. And then we're going to be looking at a couple other stories where we get more answers. So the first way that you can show generosity is yes with your money. In Luke chapter 16, we're introduced to two main characters. First, we have the rich man. He's very rich. It's in his title. That's kind of a given one. He's wearing all of the finest clothing. He has all of the most expensive name brands. His shoes are always polished. Man, he's got the nicest house. He's got, all, he's got a brand new Rolex on. I mean, he's got the most expensive colognes that he's wearing. He doesn't just keep up with the latest fashion trends. He's the one who sets them. This is the guy that you want to be friends with. I mean, he's hosting parties every single night. He's got people over at his house. Everything's catered, all the servants that you could ever ask for. And then we have, on the opposite end of the spectrum, we have the poor man Lazarus. Lazarus and the rich man could not be any more the opposite of each other. Lazarus, he is he's sad. He's alone. All he has is hand-me-downs, maybe a, a DIY out of like an old potato sack or something. That's, that's all the clothing that he has. Every single day he has to beg for the food just so that way he can get by to the next day. He's covered in sores all over his body, just 
absolutely filthy, dirt everywhere. It looks like he hasn't taken a shower in weeks. And the only friends that he has are the dogs that come and lick his sores. Soon after this, Lazarus, he dies, and he's carried by an angel into the arms of Abraham. Lazarus no longer has any sores. He no longer has an empty stomach, and he's no longer alone. The rich man, he also dies, and he's buried, but the rich man finds himself in torment. He no longer has his money. He no longer has his house or his clothes, and he's completely alone. Now, in agony, he looks out, and he sees Abraham, and he sees Lazarus at his side, and he's begging for mercy. He asked for Lazarus to give him a drink, not even a drink of water. He asked for him to dip his finger into a glass of water and to just touch it to his tongue so that way it can quench his thirst. And it's only here that the rich man realizes the consequences for his actions while he was living. And so Abraham, he explains to him that he's always had the good life. He's always had everything going for him, and now he's suffering. Where Lazarus, he had nothing, and now he's finally at peace. The rich man, he begs Abraham to send Lazarus to his family. He says, I got, I've got brothers. They're living the same life that I am. If Lazarus goes back and he, and he tells them what's to come, they'll change. And Abraham says, no, they won't. They had the prophets, people that God sent to come and speak these type of things. And they didn't listen to them, so why, why would they listen to someone who comes back from the dead? 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 8 says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. But it's not just about the amount that we give, right? You remember the story of the widow who gave the two mites and that was worth more in the eyes of God than the people who were just pouring buckets and buckets of money in? The rich man didn't have to empty his savings account for Lazarus. All he wanted, he was, his, his bucket list dream was to just eat the scraps, the leftovers, from the rich man's table. All he had to do was give him enough money to buy him a meal. Maybe put him up in a hotel room for the night. I mean, there's nothing better than a hot shower and a home-cooked meal. Something that maybe Lazarus had never been able to experience before. And like it says in that verse, if you bless other people, you will be blessed. How many times have you done something for someone and then immediately it comes back to bless you? Maybe you, you stopped on the side of the road to help someone fix their tire, and then you pull into the drive-through to be able to get yourself a burger and french fries, and somebody in front of you already paid for your order. That kind of stuff happens all the time. You know, a couple weeks ago, Slate talked about how hurt people hurt people, blessed people bless people, right? At least they should. It's, it's our responsibility if we are blessed people to not just hold that in and keep it to ourselves, but to use that to bless others. As we get closer to Christmas, you can see this kind of shift in kindness. After Black Friday, that is. After Black Friday, you can see that shift where everyone starts to become more kind. I mean, you've got uh, Michael Buble and you've got Mariah Carey on every radio station and every super, supermarket. Um, we, we start to pretend that we feel a little bit of a, a cool breeze in the morning so we can bust out our winter coats. 
people are just nicer and everyone seems genuinely happier. But of course, there are some. How many of you guys know this guy? Ebenezer Scrooge, right? Man, he hates this time of the year. He's, if, if you haven't seen his movie, basically he's, uh, he's a very rich guy who loves his money and hates kids. That's, that pretty much, pretty much sums it up. He doesn't care about anybody but himself. Spoiler alert to those who haven't, haven't seen this movie before, um, but throughout the movie he's visited by three different spirits and they show him a different part of his life, past, present, and future. And so as he's going through all of this, when he gets to the future, he finds out what will happen as a consequence to the way that he's currently living. And so when he wakes up, he decides, oh man, I've, I've got to do something about this. And so he decides he's going to change everything. And he starts giving his money away to the poor. He gives Tiny Tim the biggest ham for Christmas. He's giving him all the toys. And he's decided that he's going to just change everything, trying to make up for the time that he has lost. But after everything that he does, we still remember him as the miserable old man who hates Christmas. So let me ask you this question. How do you want to be remembered? When you pass away and people come to attend your funeral, what kind of things do you want them to say about you? Do you want them to say, oh man, he was just the absolute nicest. She, she never met a stranger, always going out of their way to help other people. Or would you rather them say, oh man, that, that guy, that girl, they, they never did anything for me. They never did anything for anybody. They only thought about, about themselves. Notice whose name is remembered in our story today. It's not the rich man. That's his only title. The name that's remembered is Lazarus. Now, many of us can point fingers at the rich man, and we can think, oh, man, how in the world could you ignore somebody who's sitting in your driveway? He's right there. Help the guy. How many homeless people do we pass on our way to work every morning, on our way out to eat, on our way to a sporting event? It's, it's right there for us as well, and we have to be very careful not to be hypocritical when we're examining the story. I mean, I've been there too, trust me. You're sitting at a stoplight. You don't want to make eye contact with the people beside you. you it, it makes us uncomfortable to see other people in need. Now, maybe you don't make a lot of money. Maybe you're just trying to make it from paycheck to paycheck. You're struggling to stay afloat yourself. And so you're, you, you have a hard time even giving money to yourself, let alone throwing it to somebody else that you don't even know, a stranger, and you don't know what they're going to use it for. Well, it's okay. I'm here to tell you that there's other forms of generosity that you can show this morning as well. The second type of generosity that you can show to others um, is you can, show it, you can show generosity with your time. The U.S. News and World Report surveyed 6,000 people about how the average American spends their time. They discovered that the average American will spend six months sitting at stoplights. If you have ever been caught at 5 p.m. at MLK or Cypress Gardens, it's probably a lot more than that. Eight months you will spend just opening junk mail, not even the real emails, the junk mail. One year you will spend looking for misplaced objects, two years unsuccessfully returning phone calls, four years doing housework, five years waiting in line, and six years of your time will be spent eating. Now, each one of us here today has been given the same 24 hours in which we 
we eat, we sleep, we go to work, we do our chores. And for some of us, we may find ourselves with less time than we have money. I mean, we live in such a, a fast-paced society. Things are constantly changing. Nothing ever shuts down. Nothing slows down. And in order to try and keep up with the rest of the world, we're running ourselves ragged, just trying to keep up. Especially if you're like me and you have a hard time saying no to people. We love staying busy, but it's just, it's so exhausting to try and keep it all up. But that being said, time is very precious. And if you give it to someone, they will appreciate it. Maybe you've been on the other end of a late night phone call. And you've been the one that has had to listen to someone and, and offer advice. Maybe, maybe you've been the one that has been supportive of someone who just broke up or just got a divorce. Maybe you've been the one that they came to. Or, or maybe uh, you've been that friend that just, you've had a rough day. Or your friend has had a rough day and they come to you and they just, they just need somebody to talk to. They need somebody to rant to. And those are the kind of things that people remember just as much, if not even more, than money. And that's how it's supposed to be because, because we as, as Christians, we're, we're supposed to be there for each other. Especially when it no longer becomes convenient. Paul read for us Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 which says, Bear one another's burdens and in this way you'll fulfill the love of of Christ Jesus. And this is an example that not only Jesus spoke about, but he also set for us. He took the time to get to know people. He listened to those without a voice. He heard those who couldn't speak. He surrounded himself with, with outcasts, and he, he listened to them. And he also hears our cry for help as well when we need him. But God wants to be more than just that late night phone call when we need help. He, he wants us to take the time out of our day to talk to him better. He doesn't want to be put on the back burner. He wants to be on the front of our minds. He wants to be the first person that we go and talk to when we've had a bad day. He wants to be the first person that we go and talk to when we've had a good day. That's what God wants, and that's what God deserves. I think about people like Daniel who were put into a position where they had to make a difficult decision. Daniel was told, if you spend time with God, if you pray, we'll kill you. You'll be thrown into the lion's den. That was a death sentence for him. And yet he still chose to pray to God every single day, three times a day. And it, it never, never wavered. I think, about, uh, I think about Hannah, who only wanted a son to love and to hold, who prayed to God earnestly, daily, for a miracle. And God answered it. I also think about Jesus right before he went to the cross and how he gathered together his closest friends and how they went off alone together and how they spent time together and with God. Somebody once said, we master our minutes or we become slaves to them. We use time or time uses us. The hardest thing to hand over to God is our time. Like I said before, it may be easier for some of us to just to throw money at something than it is for us to add another thing to our list to try and do. I mean, we remember you remember this illustration that Slate had uh, last week with a string, right, that went all the way across and every inch marked an hour in, in the day, and that was for a whole week, and how much time that we dedicate to spending with God, and it was just that one little sticky note. 
And that's not, like I said, that's not what God wants. He doesn't want to be on the back burner. He wants to be the first one that we come and talk to. He doesn't want us to, to just say, oh, okay, well, there's set times for worship, so I need to be there for that. He wants us to make our own time. Even if we don't have time, he wants us to make time for him in our own independent studies and in our own independent prayer life. We have so many hours in a week, and we only dedicate the one to spending time with God and in his word, and that needs to change. We need to set a commitment to ourselves and a commitment to God to, to do better and to try better. And I'm talking to myself just as much as everyone else. I mean, this is, this is something that, that God not only asks of us, but he, he needs it. He requires it. And it, we need it more than God does. God has allowed us to get out of bed this morning. Our, our hearts are still beating. There's still breath in our lungs. And despite how busy that we may be or that we make ourselves, God deserves our time. The final way that we can show generosity is with our actions. If you will turn to Luke chapter 10, just a couple, couple pages back, um, you'll see that there's a man who's trying to trick Jesus by asking him all of these, these difficult questions. And it's, um, it's one of the, the, the religious leaders, and he's, he's very well educated, and so he, he decides to start asking Jesus these questions that may, may, make him, uh, may, may make him slip up a little bit. And so he says, what, what do I have to do in order to be saved. And Jesus doesn't really answer questions directly, does he? He just, so this time he says, you know what, you're a smart guy. Why don't, why don't, you, why don't you tell me what you have to do to be saved? You, you went to college, you've read, you've studied the scriptures. You tell me, what do you have to do to be saved? And the man says, well, you gotta do two things. One, you gotta love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And second, you have to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, great job. You got it right. Gold star. Pat on the back. And the, the, uh, the religious leader says, no, I'm, I'm not done yet. I, I have another question. Uh, who is my neighbor? That's, that's a pretty good question. That's not a bad one. But like I said, Jesus doesn't really answer questions directly. So he responds in the way that he usually does in the form of a story. So let's go ahead and we'll begin reading in Luke chapter 10, starting verse 30, it says, Jesus answered, as a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, some robbers attacked him. They tore off his clothes, they beat him, and they left him lying there almost dead. As it happened, there was a priest that was going down the road. And when he saw the man, he walked by on the other side. Next, a Levite came there. And after he went over and he looked at the man, he walked by on the other side of the road. Then a Samaritan, traveling down the road, came to where the hurt man was. And when he saw the man, he felt very sorry for him. The Samaritan went to him, poured olive oil and wine on his wounds. He bandaged them. Then he put the hurt man on his own donkey. And he took him to an inn where he cared for him. The next day, the Samaritan brought out two coins. And he gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of this man. If you spend more money on him, then I will pay it back whenever I come again. Then Jesus said, Which of these three men do you think was the neighbor to the man who was attacked by the robbers? And the expert on the law answered, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said to him, then go and do what he did. Now real quickly, we're going to look at seven different things that the Good Samaritan did that we should all try to do. The first thing that he did was he stopped. Right off the bat, that's more than the first guy did. The priest, that's, that's more than he did. 
He was generous with his time. I'm sure he had places that he needed to be. I mean, I, I highly doubt that he was just on a casual donkey ride whenever this story took place. He, he took time out of his day to care for a stranger. The second thing that he did is he approached him. He didn't avoid him. He didn't walk on the other side of the road. He wasn't afraid to make eye contact with him. He cared enough to check it out and to see what the man needed. The third thing is that he got down to where he was. He didn't avoid him. He didn't walk on the other side of the road. We, 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 we often like to examine these, these situations from the outside looking in, right? We like to say, oh, okay, well, I see what you're dealing with down there. Well, from up here, it doesn't look so bad. So you, you, you handling that okay? All right, awesome. But no, the, the good Samaritan, he went down to where he was. He put himself in that position. He got down in the ditch. He got his hands dirty. He may have even torn his clothes on some of the thorns or briars that may have been down there. But this was the only way for him to see what that man truly needed. Number four, he bandaged his wounds. Now, it doesn't say that he's a doctor of any sort, and we really don't know the physical condition of the man other than he's been beaten and he's been left for dead. Um, so he's, he's doing his best. I, I doubt that he had a, a first aid kit on hand. He may be tearing his own robe to be able to fashion bandages to try and stop the bleeding of this man. And so he's just, he's just trying to get the blood stopped. And then he continues. He picked him up. Even though he stopped the bleeding, he didn't want to leave him where he was in the way that he found him. He didn't, he didn't, uh, he didn't, uh, he didn't call for help. He didn't go into town and try to inform the authorities. He didn't wait around for someone else to, to come and help him out. He, he took it upon himself to help the man that was in need. Number six, he took him away. He didn't help him to his feet and say, hey, good luck, God bless, see you next time. No, he, he, he didn't draw him a map to where the nearest hospital was. No, he, he decided that he wasn't done helping. He put the man on his own donkey and he walked with him back into town. We don't know how far that town was. Could have been, you know, 20 feet. Could have been 20 miles. We have no idea. But that wasn't, the, that, none of that mattered to the Good Samaritan. I don't think that the distance would have altered his, his mindset. He walked into town and he placed him in the inn where number seven, he provided for him. He paid for the man to stay in the inn and he paid the innkeeper to look after him. And if the innkeeper, if he spent more than what he was given... And the Good Samaritan promised to pay it upon his return. He did something extra. He, he went the extra mile that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5, verse 41. I mean, the story could have ended with verse 33. Then a Samaritan traveling down the road came to where the hurt man was. And when he saw the man, he felt very sorry for him. He could have seen him, felt sorry for him, and then just continued on his way. If you're from the south and you see someone in need, we often just say, oh, bless his heart. Oh, bless her heart. I hope that they figure that out. I hope that I hope that, that situation gets resolved. But that's not what the Good Samaritan did. The Good Samaritan shows all three types of generosity. He gave the man his money. He gave the man his time. And he proved it all through his actions. And you know what's crazy about the whole thing? Is that we never see the injured man say thank you. We, we don't even have confirmation that he was conscious for this event that took place. The injured man may not ever know who saved his life. 
But we're not supposed to be generous for the show of things, right? Matthew chapter 6, verse 4 says that what we do in secret will be rewarded openly. And talking about generosity, um, a couple weeks ago, I was given the opportunity to take the kids on the Thanksgiving retreat. I know I already talked about it a little bit two weeks ago, but I'm just so proud of these kids, and I need to brag on them a little bit more. Um, 150 teenagers from 30 congregations, they, they gave up their Thanksgiving holiday to go and serve others. And this isn't your typical retreat where you get to go and you get to sleep in and you get to play games and have fun. These kids, they were up past midnight every night and they were up at six o'clock every morning ready to work. We had teenagers collecting donations of food and money from local churches and businesses. We had kids washing people's cars and helping elderly to rearrange furniture in their homes. We had people working in thrift shops, making crafts and baskets for nursing homes. We had people taking food to homeless shelters and to the less fortunate. We had kids setting up Christmas trees and sharing smiles with the elderly and, and so much more. And that's the type of generosity that Jesus wants to see. He wants us to help each other. He wants us to use our money, to use our time, and use our actions to make a difference in the world. And I'll tell you what, getting to watch all of those kids do so much good in the three days that we were there, it inspired me. And it, it made me want to be a better person, to see them at their age doing the kind of stuff that they're doing. It's just, inspiring is the only word that I can, can use and so I'm so, so proud of all of them. But the crazy thing is, none of those people that they helped are going to remember the names of the kids that helped them. They're not going to remember their faces or what they looked like. But instead, what they're going to remember is why they did it and who they were representing. And that is the most important part I mentioned the, the statistics two weeks ago, but over the three days that we were there, those kids picked up 50,000 pounds of food, and they were able to feed 700 families on Thanksgiving. And those are families in our local area. Those are, those are people that we pass on the street, that we are in line behind in the grocery store. These are people in our community that are hurting, that need help. And the whole time we were partnered with the, the Lake Wells Care Center, and I still keep in contact with their main guy. We've talked a couple of times since then. They're actually doing um, another event like this with another group for Christmas. And they're on track to do the exact same thing. They're going to feed more families, and they're going to give toys to 780 kids this Christmas. That's awesome. That's the kind of stuff right there. That is generosity at its finest. And I know it's not easy to spare one let alone three forms of generosity, but the right thing to do, it doesn't always come easy. But events like that, they, they can't take place without all three forms of generosity. They need money to fund and support all their work. They need food to deliver, and they also need a means of transportation and gas to get to and from all of the places that they're dropping off to. They need people to take time out of their busy schedules to be able to, to donate their time, to be able to donate food and donate money and to try and help people to make a difference. And then they also need people to go out and do the work. People to collect the food, to redistribute it to other families in need. Jesus was more than just a bunch of wise quotes and stories. Jesus lived the life that he taught. He visited the sick, he gave food to those in need, he was a friend of the friendless, and he was the first one 
to lend a helping hand. There's an old story that I'll leave you with. The old story, it goes back to our ancient history, and it's about a beggar who um, asked Alexander the Great for some alms. The man was clearly very poor. He had no attachment to Alexander. Some would say that he didn't even have the right to speak to him. But as he was passing, he just held out his cup, and he asked if he could spare any alms. And as Alexander the Great was walking by, he dropped a handful of gold coins into his cup. Now, the advisor that was with him was absolutely astonished at his generosity, and he commented, he said, Sir, copper coins would have been more than enough to suit the beggar's needs. And he asked, why in the world would he give him gold? And Alexander responded that the copper coins would suit the beggar's needs, but the gold coins would suit his own generosity. We serve a God that is so generous, that is so loving, that is so kind, And he always provides more than we need, more than we deserve. And just coming off of Thanksgiving, we're all reminded of all of our blessings and and so many that we just, we take for granted. Copper would have suited our needs, but yet God gave us gold. This morning, we're going to offer an invitation to to anyone who needs it. We have the, the cross behind us. If you don't feel comfortable coming forward, then after services, we have paper up here and pens that you can write your prayer request on, you can nail that to the cross, and our elders would be happy to pray for you. They'd be happy to pray upon your request. Or maybe this morning you just wanted to, to learn more about Jesus. I'd, I'd be happy to talk to you, to tell you more about what he's done for me and what he can do for you in your life. Or maybe this morning you'd like to be baptized. You'd like to have all of your sins washed away, and you'd like to be forgiven for everything that you've done. If any of this is the case, or if you have any need that you can think of, then come forward as we stand and as we sing.